It is good to be here. It's just good to be in Tacoa. I'll just say that. It's good to be home. Uh, and I was grateful Fred called me. Let me just ask you a question. Uh, y'all glad Fred's leading us? I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I am grateful for his leadership and uh, just uh, pleased every time I get to see or hear, uh, which is not often here lately, uh, what God is doing uh, here. It's amazing, and I'm grateful. Um, let me dispel something for you um, right off the bat. There is no difference in discipleship and evangelism. You can't be a disciple unless you've been evangelized. You, you can't disciple someone unless you're discipling them to, to make disciples, which means evangelism. So it's kind of connected. You can't, you can't separate the two, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We've done that in the church because it's, 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 it's ways of saying purpose, of pointing to purpose. But there's really no way in Scripture, when you look at Scripture, of dividing evangelism from discipleship. Uh, the two go together. I, I have conversations often with churches. I take the discipleship process very seriously. And so I'll ask a question of the pastor. Matter of fact, I asked it about an hour and a half ago of a pastor I'm going to be with in September uh, in, in a couple weeks who's doing an outstanding, putting together an outstanding event. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of people getting saved. I mean, there's going to be a lot of students especially getting saved. And my question was, is what are you doing with the follow-up? What's it look like? And he talked me through the process. And uh, he told me by the end of this, I'll have this huge database of students. And it's going to be in the Jackson, Mississippi area. So there's, you know, there's, I'm, I'm going to be speaking to 15,000 students in the public schools. So I don't know what the number will be that come to the individual events. Uh, but it, there's going to be people saved. I, I just, I've got a lot of confidence of what happens when lost people come into the presence of the gospel. People get saved. And uh, it's not about the speaker. It's about the power of the gospel and the, the clarity of the gospel that takes care of God saves people. He starts and he finishes the process. And uh, I'm just a messenger. And uh, he takes my mess of a message and makes a, a good thing out of it. And so uh, what he said was, is we're going to have all this stuff in place. And, and, and we started talking a little further. I said, let me tell you what you need to do with that database of all these students, high school students especially. I said, you need to track them for about 10 years. Kind of paused and said, how, how do we do that? I said, well, they love social media and they love, you know, I hate taking polls. I don't know if you guys take polls online. You, if you send me some, take a, I ain't taking a poll. Teenagers will take a poll. And as they get older, they do. I said, what you need to ask them is why aren't you back in church? What, what, what's caused you to leave the church? I said, until we can hear from them, uh, we'll never learn from them. And so uh, we need to learn and how to deal with that, because that's a huge problem in the church, is our young people leave the church and they never come back. And so uh, he has a good discipleship plan in place, a follow-up plan. And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm very, very concerned about that when I go to places and it's not just, hey, we're going we're gonna to take a picture of how many people get saved and walk away and just believe that they're going to find their way to where they're supposed to be. But that's not how it happens. It's our job to make disciples. But it includes evangelism. You cannot be in a, a disciple unless you've been evangelized, unless you've come to the place of Christ. What does a disciple look like? What, what does it mean to be a good disciple? Um, I, and I love what Fred's teaching here. Let, let me just break it down to Steve terms. And I, I consider Steve terms. I don't have a PhD. So this is common now, okay? It is having the mind of Christ and walking it out. It is taking the Beatitudes that are taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 
and applying the teaching of the epistles on how to do church. And, and when we do those things together, and, and I'm, honestly, the only way you can do that is through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, and what's required of that is for us to, to listen to the Spirit of God and to be in the Word of God. And when those things happen, it goes from an attitude to an action. But it's not going to happen just because you know you have knowledge of the Word of God. So studying the Word of God is not enough. You have to listen to the Spirit of God. So when God prompts you to do something you think is totally crazy, maybe you do it and see what God does. Let me give you an example. I was walking through Walmart yesterday, and I never have cash on me. There's a specific strategy as to why I never have cash, because my kids smell it. So that used to work a whole lot better. Now they have bank accounts, and they said, Dad, can you just move money over to my account, which just blows the whole process. But... But uh, at any rate, I'm walking through Walmart, and I'm walking by the checkout. I'm, I've got things to do. Um, I've got a lot of stuff to get done. And uh, I'm home for 10 days or whatever, and then I'm gone again for another 20 days. And so I've got a lot to get done. And I see a lady who I'd seen shopping, and she's got this cart full of food. And God just said, you need to, you need to put some money on, down on that. And I, whatever I had in my pocket, I just walked over. And, and handed to the lady. The, the lady was checking her out. The other lady was un, undoing her cart. She had no idea. I, and I, when he first said that, I was like, are you serious? Okay, here you go. And I just walked off. And the girl's looking at me like, what? I said, just put that towards her grocery bill. And I walked off. Now, I don't know what God did with that. I walked out the door praying, God, take that and use it for whatever glory you need to use it for to, to get her attention. I don't know where she's at. I don't know why God did that. But I'm telling you, I, I, I sense the Spirit of God saying to do it, and I better do it. And trust him with the results. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to, to, be, able, to be willing to get outside the norm of yourself. Because otherwise we could just do it in the flesh, right? We, we just, if, it's just, if it's just everyday average stuff, we could do all that. We don't need God to tell us how to do it or what to do. But when the Lord's involved, it's a whole different situation. So that's the keys I want to, I want to plant in your mind. We're going to go through Acts chapter 8. Pretty thoroughly. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at what it means to listen to the voice of God, to follow God, even when it doesn't make sense. And so uh, this is followology of evangelism. And uh, so here we go. And Saul approved of his execution. We're talking about Stephen here. So Stephen's been killed. Um, and and there's a lot of good stuff there. I encourage you to go read that. And uh, Understand that a lot of what happened there, I think, this is my idea, I believe this is how Paul came to know Christ on the road to Damascus. Because there's some things that Stephen says that Jesus said on the cross. I, I believe as sure as Saul was there to watch over as Stephen was killed, he was at the cross to make sure Jesus was killed. And he heard some words from Jesus, and then he heard those same words from Paul. And I believe with all my heart that there's a, the testimony of Stephen was the seed of salvation that was planted to be harvested on the road to Damascus. Saul approved of his execution, and there arose that day a great persecution 
against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I think this too also was part of the the, the way that Paul came to Christ. Because Paul later on would, 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 would have to go back. If you, if you know anything about Paul and you study, he was always taking up an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And the reason the saints in Jerusalem were poor is because at this stage of his life, he was having them executed. He was having their, their families ripped apart. They were losing their job. They were scattering. And so you had a bunch of broken families there because of his actions. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went to, down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. So we'll stop there for a moment. The first thing I want you to see is the Lord uses tension and discomfort to help us trust him and obey him. The Lord, there it is. You see it. What do I mean by that? Well, tension Spiritual tension is an uneasiness within you. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I, I will give you an example of, of tension in my life. Uh, 2012, I had uneasiness in my soul about what I was doing. I was serving as a youth pastor here. The youth ministry was going great. Uh, God was blessing. The church was growing. Um, everything was good. Andy and I were close. There was no issues there. Um, I was close with Caleb. I mean, there was not, there was no problem. And I remember riding down the road. Uh, we had just dropped Jake off at at, at uh, Ebenezer at Southeastern Seminary, and I had met with a man there that has been greatly influential in my life. And, and we had a good discussion. And he he gave me some words of wisdom, and I'll never forget the words he gave me. Um, and so I, you know, I, on the way back, I thought, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna spring this on my godly wife, my Sunday school wife, I call her my, she's my Sunday school girl, and because uh, she's the opposite of me. I did everything wrong, she's done everything right. And so I'm just going to spring this on her, and I know she's going to smack me down in place. I just know she's going to say, are you crazy? So I'm, I'm saying this to her, and I'm telling her what God's been doing in my life, and I, I just feel like I'm, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But I don't know where I'm, I don't have an, I don't have an idea of where I'm going. I have no idea at all. I just know that there's this tension in my soul, and I don't know how to extinguish it other than that this is what the Lord put on my heart. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, don't, like, I don't have any answer for what I'm going to do or how I'm going to make money or all those things that you think are important to a, a wife. And I'm, ta- I'm, I'm telling you, right just outside of Greenville, she says to me, well, I, if God's telling you to do it, we need to do it. And I'm looking at her like, What? You're not supposed to give me that answer. So then I make up an excuse. Is Caleb still in here? He needs to be in here because he's part of this. Anyway, I make up this excuse. I said, well, you know what? I, if I'm going to do this, I need to sit down with Andy. I mean, he's been so good to me. We're like brothers. I've got to spend some time with him. I've got to explain this to him. And we don't ever have that kind of time. I mean, we're just busy, and, we, you know, I'm just going to take my time. We'll have this conversation. And so now I'm just about to Anderson. And the phone rings. It's Andy. He says, 
hey, man, he said, uh, I'm speaking in Columbus tomorrow at the evangelism conference, which I already knew that. And he said, Caleb was going to fly me, but this was before Caleb had his, what is it, David, gauge license, whatever it is, Brian? It's there. It's before he had that. And the cloud cover was not going to work out, so he couldn't fly. And, and Andy said, hey, do you mind riding down to Columbus with me? I, I'm telling you, 10 minutes since I've made the statement. And I'm looking at my wife going, and he was on speaker, and she's just looking at me going, give me that wife look, you know, like, told you so. I'm like, sure. Yeah, man. So the entirety of the ride down there, I had the conversation with him. And he kept out, who's calling you? Who's trying to get higher? You? I was like, dude, there ain't nobody calling me. I just, I just feel like if I stay here, I'm out of God's will, man. I, I, I got to do something. That's what tension is. Now, I'm not advocating you go crazy you know, like that. I, just, I was to the place where I was like, I, I, something's got to give. And, and so that tension is good. And, and don't ever let anybody convince you that struggling in your faith is, is a bad thing. Struggle is a good thing. Struggle means the spirit and the flesh are having problems together, which they should. And so that's, that's a good thing when, 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 we're, when we're struggling. And so this tension and, and, and discomfort helps us to get to the place of trust and obedience. And that's imperative if you're going to have anything to do with sharing your faith with someone. You're going to have to trust and obey. And God's going to probably do it He's probably going to get you to that place through tension and discomfort. Because it's just not comfortable talking to people about spiritual matters, especially in today's world. It, we're, everybody's so divided. Everybody's so on edge. Everybody is so... I, I was talking to a man today, and, 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 and he used to be a member of the church, and met with him down in Gainesville for lunch, and we were talking, and said, it doesn't matter what, where you get your source of news. If you're a CNN person or a Fox News person, or whoever else in between. It's negative, and it's fearful. Period. It's just negative and fearful by different things. But it's just negative, and it will just pull you down. And so that's the way the world is. We don't want to confront. We don't want to have a conversation that might come across as, as confrontational or angry or whatever, and we back away from situations. But that's what we need to understand is that discomfort is a good thing. And so... When we look at Paul, or Saul, as he's carrying this stuff out, God uses the tension of persecution to scatter the church. Why? Because he wants to scatter the seeds of salvation. And, and most of the people that have heard the gospel to this point are in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're, they're clustered together. So God uses that to spread the word by sending people out. So Philip, Philip, by the way, is, is one of those people who was chosen in Acts chapter 3, I believe, when they called the deacons. He was one of the deacons, first deacons, along with Stephen. And so here's Philip. He's, uh, he's gone on to Samaria. And, and what do we know about Samaria? Samaria is where Jesus was when he ran into the woman at the well. And if you remember... At, towards the end of that, in, in John chapter 4, there was a great revival that broke out there. So the, the gospel's already been there. The gospel's there. And now Philip is going. There's a revival going on. And so there's this big revival taking place. And, and, and it says uh, in verse 6, it said, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, 
came out of many who had them, and many who were, who were paralyzed or lame or he, were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. Why? Because the presence of God was there. And it brought joy. Now, understand who the Samaritans are, and in the relationship that they had with, with the Jewish people was not good. And, and as a matter of fact, their land was really cursed. You go all the way back and study what happened. Their land was really cursed. And now all of a sudden, God is there. And He's doing a work. And He's changing lives. And, and, and signs and wonders are taking place. And so that, that's, where, that's where we get left. And there's, a, there's a, 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 something that happens there. The apostles come. I'm going to skip verses because we've got to jump. But the apostles come to town. They hear what's going on and they come. Why do the apostles come? To validate the signs and wonders. And so you ever get in a conversation about signs and wonders and this is, this is the short answer for you. During the apostolic age, okay, we don't live in the apostolic age anymore. We live in the church age. The apostolic age is the book of Acts. It's the development of the church, the growth of the church. And during the apostolic age, you saw a lot of signs and wonders. It does not mean, I'm not a cessationist. In other words, I don't believe that everything stopped. Because I still believe God is healing people. I still believe God is casting out demons. I've, I've participated. I, I believe God is doing a great work still. Okay? And there's plenty of signs and wonders. So don't get in that argument about that. That's a, that's a secondary issue. But it, it was an apostolic phenomenon is where how, the, how God used that is with the apostles. It validated the apostles in their work. It gave them credibility. And so the apostles coming to the revival was a, a sign of credibility that this is God working amongst the people. And so, uh, and they would have understood that. So let's skip down to verse 26. So here we have the, uh, the, the, the servant who's there serving. The apostles come in. He's still there. He's working. The apostles, you know, they, there's, a, there's a, a man named Simon who tried to purchase uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's rebuked. Um, and and there's, there was a sympathy, a little sympathy in my heart as I was reading, rereading that yesterday and today. I mean, who wouldn't have wanted the power of the Holy Spirit? He just didn't understand you can't buy this stuff. And, and, and we laugh at that, right? There's people in church all the time think they can buy God. Amen, Johnny? You ever met any of those? You, you start talking to them about discipline in the church, they start talking about how much they tithe. Take that one up with God. It don't matter. You can't buy God. You don't get to buy authority or power or whatever else it is in church. And that was dealt with in those, in those passages of Scripture there. Peter rebuked him pretty hard. And, and so now we're to the place where Philip is in this revival. It's going great. The apostles have come and they validated the revival. Man, it's, it's the high energy people are full of joy. And we also, now we're going to find out the second thing is the Lord is willing, will always use a willing servant in amazing ways. He'll always use a willing servant in amazing ways. I'll just tell you, I've said this before here, I'll say it again. I said it a while ago. When when Caleb was preaching, I I said it again. Before I step up and preach God's word, here's what I say. Lord, I'm completely incapable of doing what you're asking me to do here. But I'm willing. I don't have the capability to change anybody's life with any kind of words. But I'm willing to stand in the place and proclaim the goodness of God through his word any day. Any day. It's his word, it's his spirit, it's his power. I'm willing. And God, God will use a willing servant in amazing ways. I, I, th- listen, this summer, 
has, I've, I've sent out, I posted a Facebook post. It's been unbelievable what God has done. I, I've been in all kinds of places. I couldn't even begin to tell you. I was talking to somebody today, and I couldn't even remember where I was this past weekend, and it was just Monroe, Georgia. I couldn't even come up with where I was. But the reality is, is, is God has just been, it's been supernatural this summer. I mean, it's just been amazing how thick the Spirit has been and how, how much He's anointed. And, and, and 300 people have made uh, decisions to follow Jesus, over 300 actually. And it's just cool. It's just cool to watch God do these things. And I'm blown away. I'm like, God, wow, I, I'm, I, I don't deserve this, and I, I shouldn't be here doing this, but God blesses. And so now Philip is going to have a little challenge in his life. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That, that right there ought to just be enough. He's in revival. He's seeing God move all over the place, and all of a sudden God's calling him to the desert. So he's called to the desert place, and he rose and went. He didn't have a conversation with God. He didn't plead his case with God. He just rose and went. He was faithful. He heard from God, and he went. This this is what I'm trying to help you. Discipleship is not all that difficult if we just learn to listen and obey. Listen and obey. And, and the value of the Word of God in that equation is that when you're listening and you know the Word of God, you know what God, who God is and what He would say, and you know who God is not and what He wouldn't say. That, that's why when people will, want to come to me and say, hey, yeah, I was riding down the road and Jesus was sitting next to me, talking to me. I said, well, my scripture said He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Are you the Father? He wasn't riding down the road sitting with you. You hear those testimonies, you hear them on TV, you hear televangelists tell those kind of stories. I was riding down there, and Jesus physically showed up in my car. Really? Well, my scripture said the next time he's going to show up on this earth, he's going to step out on the Mount of Olives and step and step in to stop a war. If you know scripture, you know when somebody says something like that, that that's not even close to scripture. So stop talking like that. So here he is, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. Whoa. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit, first it was an angel, now it's the spirit, the spirit, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was like sheep he was led to slaughter and like a lamb before the shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
So look at this scene. He's, been, he's heard from an angel, says go. He goes. He doesn't argue. He goes, and, and, and all of a sudden he's in the place where he's supposed to be. How often do we find ourselves in places we're not supposed to be? He's in the place where he's supposed to be. And all of a sudden he sees afar some dude sitting in a chariot. He doesn't know who this guy is. He has no idea. He just sees him from afar. And the Spirit says, go to him. And he doesn't walk. He doesn't jog. It says he ran to him in obedience. And, and now two strangers meet. They're, they're not the same from the same place. One is a Gentile. He's, Philip is Jewish. And, and they're having this conversation. They're talking about the prophet Isaiah. It, it says he had come to Jerusalem to worship. We have to ask the question, what was he worshiping or who was he worshiping? Because he doesn't understand. And sometimes we get put in a situation where we don't understand where the person's coming from. I would be confused here. But understand this, God is not confused. So just allow God to use you in that situation. And, and so what does the guy do? The guy tees the ball up for him. Philip doesn't have any idea when he's running across the desert to get over there to this guy. He, he might be like, I, I'm always thinking, how do I open this? How do I start this conversation? And sometimes we just need to be quiet and let the other person speak. And as they're speaking, they'll open doors. I, I've shared with you all before, I think this is a great way to open a conversation. I do it all the time. When I'm sitting at a table, a restaurant, a waitress comes or a waiter comes, I'll say, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our food. This is after we take the order. Hey, we're getting ready to take, pray for our food. And how can we pray for you? What's the greatest spiritual need you have in your life? I think I've shared this here before, but it's just worth hearing again. Um, it, it was just an incredible encounter. We were in Kentucky with my mom, and it was her birthday, and I'm a smart young man. I was flying in there to go to, with the Steels uh, to their beginning of their journey uh, to get into the IMB. And so I flew in a day early because it was mama's birthday, and I was going to be in town, and I'm smart. And so I took her to dinner, and we were sitting there with my sisters, two sisters, my niece, uh, a couple of brother-in-laws were there, and, and we're sitting there having this conversation, and the waiter comes up. I asked that question. His name was a big old long name. I called him D. And, and in the middle of the conversation, he, he kind of just shut me down when I asked that. He said, I, 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 I don't know. I, and he just kind of walked off. And I, I'm not offended. I offered. I did what I was supposed to do. And, and, and But while he was gone, man, the Spirit of God just, man, was pressing on me. And to the point that I confidently looked across the table and said, D is 24 years old. Now, what do you think my family is thinking? You've lost your ever-loving mind. Dude. First of all, who's thinking like that? Who cares how old he is? D comes back. I said, D, how old are you? He said, 24. Their eyes went, Phew. and here's why I knew he was 24, because of what the Lord told me to tell him. I said, bro, I'm here celebrating my mom's birthday. And this woman would tell you today, she prayed for me for 24 years before I gave my life to Christ. I looked at him and said, Dee, who's praying for you? He said, probably my grandma. I said, man, that's awesome. You've got somebody praying for you, bud. And I left it. We walked out. I had parked a little ways away. Mom was handicapped. I didn't have her sticker. 
so I didn't park in the handicap sticker because I'm smart like that. And and I, I pulled up in the handicap spot because I knew she's coming out. And I, I, I the car's running. My sister comes out. D's in there looking for you. And I walked in the room, back into the restaurant, in the lobby of the restaurant. And I said, what's up, man? He said, you got to tell me more about Jesus. Okay. So I tell D more about Jesus. He gives his life to Christ. We're standing like right here. Here's the glass wall or the wall, the knee wall or hip wall, whatever, and a glass uh, separator here. And we're in the lobby. Right here's the restaurant. So he prays and receives Christ. We're done. I'm kind of shaking his hand. A lady gets up, walks all the way around, comes out, and she looks at me and she says, you need to come with me. My husband needs to hear what you just told that man. And I'm standing there like, what? She said, can you just come to my table? I went, and it was awkward. They had their meal on the table. And I walk over there, and, and her husband says, just sit down. I know what I need to do. I need to give my life to Christ. He got saved. Simple obedience, without fear. God is going to open a door. He's going to open a door, but you've got to be willing. Let me run now. All right, number three. What may seem like an insignificant effort can change the world. See, on the surface, you just read this. You took this story out of the Bible and just put it in another book. It wouldn't be that interesting. But the fact that, that God has called Philip to the desert to, to intersect the path of an Ethiopian who's going home to Egypt and he's a man of influence. It's the first thing they teach you in missionary school. You find the man of influence in the community and you, you, you spend your time with him because his influence will wear off on you. His influence will, the, the people will start seeing you as influential if you're hanging around with a man of influence. And, and so that's the first thing they teach you. And, and so here is a man of influence. He manages all the queen's money. You think he's got some power? Yeah. And God sends Philip, the deacon, by the way, to intercept him. And supernaturally, the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, come on up in here. They're strangers. This is a man of influence. He probably was dressed very nice. Philip was probably not smelling too well because it's the desert and he was running across the desert floor. And he had just come all the way from Samaria. But they got in the chair together and he got to begin with the word. He took them all the way through scripture to understand salvation. What was God doing? God was sending the gospel to Egypt. God was sending the word of God to Egypt. The Ethiopian eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship a God he didn't even know, and now he's going home with a heart full of the God he now knows. That's a big deal. God, God will take something that seems so insignificant and can change the world with it if we just wake up. We just need to understand what he's doing. Four years ago, movie was taking place here in town. We were setting up campers. They were using my wife's office the next day in the scene. 
we were setting up the campers for all the movie stars to stay in when they're not on the camera because that's how they roll. And so they got to have their own little space, the leave me alone space. And, and so we were setting that up, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get home. My wife is waiting for me outside, I believe, right at the mailbox because that's what I told you to do. I knew she was waiting at the mailbox because we were going to dinner at Ribeye's, I believe, to get a big old fat juicy steak. And anyway, um, so this dude pulls up in a camper. I mean, just pulls right up in a camper. And, and I'm like, yo, what are you doing? This isn't a campground. It's hard, hard to explain that when there's three campers sitting there, but it's not a campground. And he couldn't speak English. He spoke French. I don't speak French. So I did the Google Translate. We're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I'm frustrated. I'm thinking, I need to go home. My wife is waiting for me. She's by the mailbox. My phone is probably blowing up. And, and, and so I, I finally, he, in, with his phone, says, what do you do? Okay, God, I'm an evangelist. I, and I told him I'm an evangelist. Well, we had just gotten back from Nicaragua or recently had gotten back, and I, or I was going to Mexico, and I had translated my testimony out in Spanish. And my wife did that for me. And so I, I called her. I said, I'm on my way. I need, we, need to, we need to translate my, my uh, testimony into French. She said, why? And I told her the whole story. I told the dude, park your car, man, we'll be here in the morning. I thought they were coming just to check out the, the museum because he was from France. He didn't even know the museum was there. And so he just saw it was a campground. He was driving around Tacoa. He had, watch this, he had shipped his camper over from France to uh, Bangor, Maine, is that correct? Uh, or on the coast there? And had driven from Maine going to Florida. And he's in downtown Tacoa looking for a place to park his, his camper. That's the story. So she goes to work the next morning. They're going to shoot the scene in the office. And there's an actor. What's his name, babe? Put you on the spot. Sorry, David something. Anyway, he was from Eight is Enough. Um, he was a young kid in Eight is Enough. Go, go Google it. Anyway, he was there. We had been talking the whole week, two weeks, about Jesus. He loved the Lord. So it's his scene. He's the bad guy in the movie, County Line. So he's in the office shooting the scene. I'm outside waiting because I want him to come over there and, and hang out with me and talk to these people. And, uh, and I'm also waiting for a copy of my testimony that was on her computer. And he was sitting at her desk, and he came out, and I began to tell him the story. And he says, wait a minute, was that your testimony on the screen? I'm like, dude, do you read French? He goes, man, I went to school in Paris. I'm like, are you kidding me? So we printed it out. Am I lying, baby? I ain't lying about nothing, am I? I mean, we took it over there and knocked on the door. Long story short, the man, the man is standing there. His wife is, is refuting, like, with signs and, and wonders going, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. To everything he was saying to us, she was, like, in the background going, mm-mm, mm-mm, like telling on him. And I'm looking at her going, can you make this a little more obvious, <laughs> you know? And so we ended up sharing the gospel with him. He kind of stiff-armed us. But I got a message later on that sent from his wife who said, my husband is in love with Jesus. Come on. You can't make that stuff up. I even told him that. That was my last point. I was like, let me ask you a question. I said, do you think God might have had something to do with us meeting? I mean, you're from Paris. I'm in Tacoa, Georgia. You drive your RV that you had shipped over here on your way to Florida. To, how'd you get 
here on your way to Florida. It, craziness. But God does that. And he does something, something seemingly insignificant can change the world. The last thing I want you to see is knowledge and understanding of the word is important, but never let your perceived inadequacy keep you from obeying. What Philip mastered here was even in the fast-moving circumstances of how he got there, he depended upon his understanding, the knowledge of the word, but he also understood. He had the wisdom to understand God is in this. And here's what you can take to the bank. 1 Timothy 2.4 It is the will of God that all men come to know him. And I know this, when my will lines up with his will, something good's about to happen. Something good is about to happen. And if I'm willing in all circumstances, and my radar is up, and it's always being careful of what's going on around me. And, and listen, there's been plenty of times that I haven't been. I had a very bad attitude with the Frenchman before I finally, before God beat me over the head with a two-by-four to get my attention. I, I mean, I was in a bad place. I wanted to go. Get out of my way, dude. You're stopping me and you're stalling me. But God will get your attention. He always works this way. You just have to align your will with his will. And when we align our will with his will, you know what we are? Disciples. Disciples. What do you think Jesus did the entire time with the apostles? He was trying to teach them the will of the Father. And then he modeled it for them. How many times did you see Jesus say, I'm here to do the work of my Father? So when it came time to pass the torch or the baton, there was a modeling that had already taken place. And when we allow, the, the, if we, when we wipe out the perceived inadequacy that we're not good enough, we're not. No one here is skilled enough. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. Johnny, you can probably, you'll amen this. I'm, I'm confident. Sometimes our pursuit of theology and knowledge and understanding messes us up. It messes us up. If we have to be careful that our theology and our pursuit of knowledge lines up with the will of God. That's why I have such a, a headbutt deal. If you're Calvinist in the room, you ain't going to like this. But, man, I, when I read that God has a desire to save all and that his, his, sin, his, his blood is a propitiation for all sin, including the whole world's sin, that, that's the word of God. I just have a hard time believing God does this, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. He wants us to be used to God. And by the way, if you are Calvinist, win souls and let him decide. That's the best way to go. Just keep winning souls. Keep sharing the gospel. Because no one's going to get saved, according to John 6, No one will come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, Period end of conversation. In other words, no one in this room tonight is going to on their own decide, hey, I want to give my life to Christ tonight. You ain't that good. You ain't that holy. It'll be the drawing of the Holy Spirit. It'll be the only way you can come to Christ is by invitation from Him. That's why when it happens, you need to pay attention because you don't know when the next time is coming or if the next time is coming. And you also don't know that for your friends. 
You don't know that for your neighbors. You may wait thinking oh, somebody will get them to go to church with them or whatever the excuse is you make for not sharing your faith. You don't know that. And you may be the reason because you don't take advantage of the opportunity to share the gospel. We need to be conscious of that and be willing to be used in making a difference. And we never know what that difference looks like until we get to the end of eternity, into eternity in heaven. And then we get to see the full picture. And I'm telling you, I, I, I want to enter heaven. I'm just going to say how selfish I am. I want to enter heaven with a lot of people happy, seeing people that I got to share my faith with. I, I, I want, not, not for me, it's for him, it's for Jesus. Because they're not there to worship me, they're there to worship him. But I, I want to I be able to look around the room and know that there's people at the altar worshiping because a 55-year-old or whatever old I get to be, fat, bald dude, was willing to go. Willing to take the gospel and willing to make disciples. And we're all called the same. There's no special calling when it comes to sharing the gospel. We're all called to share the gospel. God has gifted me with the gift of evangelism. That doesn't excuse anybody else from not being evangelistic. And if you want to be like Jesus, that's what it means to be a disciple. I think Jesus was pretty evangelistic. It's hard to be like Jesus and not be evangelistic. Because that was the whole reason he came. To seek and to save that which was lost. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it just points us so clearly to what you want us to do. God, I pray we'd all be found faithful in our own, in our own world that where you put us strategically. Be faithful to share the truth of your love and to give people hope and a way out of their sin and a way out of their sinfulness. God, I pray for each and every person in this room that you would use us for your glory and for your honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray.